we go? What are we calling this? What are we calling this? Is this a, is this a bonus? Is this a, bonus. An adjunct? I think we should just call it Is it like, Capital. <laughs> Capital. Crapital. I like it. <laughs> um, don't know what day it is that this is coming out. Maybe a Tuesday, maybe, maybe a Wednesday. A Tuesday, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, I think it's Tuesday. Tuesday sounds good. Uh, happy Tuesday, um, everybody. Look at us coming into your feed on a Tuesday. And what are we here to do, Dan? Um... Uh... <laughs> Read a damn We're book. We're going to read five or six pages of the beginning <laughs> of Karl Marx's Capital. Yep. I have a confession to make. Uh-oh. Um, I sometimes pretend to <laughs> uh, have some passing familiarity with Marx and Marxism. Sure, sure. No way. But it's, no it's Marxist has mostly, ever that. <laughs> <laughs> mostly based on, premised on um, second-hand accounts. Sure. And some reading of sort of like shorter mm. texts. Critique of political economy. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. The yeah, last yeah, thesis yeah. on Forerbach. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've read most of the manifesto, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and and several several aborted attempts to read um, some of the more weightier tomes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. One of which we hold, hold in our hands today. And we promise this to you. We will at least read the first six pages of this book, <laughs> which we have actually already done. Um, twice over. Twice over, at least. Yeah. A while ago, Dan and I had an idea to actually read some, you know, a Marxist text on this show. A, Marxi- a text of Marxes. Exactly, a text of Marxes. Um, and we settled on this. Partially because, well, you were saying this the other day about how this is like the one, these three volumes are like, you can read this and this is what Marx settled on, basically. Whereas if you tried to read the German ideology, tried to read even the manifesto, you might be left with some things that maybe he changed his opinion on later. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, there. I'm sure there are multiple ways of presenting this text and reading different things into it. Sure. And... Uh extracting different things from it and fixating on certain things and discarding other mm. things. Mm. Um, but it does feel like a definitive statement of his mm. rather than uh, something that he may have outgrown or mm. um, someone with a a greater familiarity with the entire corpus of Marxist writing might say, well, in X, our next place on in uh, another book he yeah. may have contradicted this a little bit and yeah, like maybe yeah. he didn't think about this anymore and that's the young marks and yeah you should think of a more ma- marks in you a fool. mature <laughs> in a more mature light or yeah 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 um so i feel more comfortable misrepresenting this text yeah than i do something like the german ideology <laughs> or, or the, at least the german ideology in its abridged versions yeah um, and also you should just read this book. What the hell? Yeah. We just should. And this is perhaps really the main reason we're doing this show. Give ourselves excuses. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, this, this is this, what's happening here is a bit of like yeah. arm twisting. Exactly. Um, with you, the listener, as our, um, mm. our the arm twisty, our, our arm twister in chief. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, we'll pro- what we'll be doing with this, I guess, is just going through the whole book. Um, in segments that feel appropriate. We don't know how long these episodes are going to be. I would imagine they're probably going to vary in length. They're going to come out sporadically. Um, what Dan and I are planning on reading for the next main episode is a little bit shorter. Um, 
So when we do things for the main episodes, I would imagine that are a little bit longer. We'll probably like maybe take a step back from this and come back to it some other time. But um, these will be sporadic. They'll be coming out as something separate to the main episodes. Um, and we're just going to get through it when we get through it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. take us away. What did we read? And I... <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> There's another uh, <laughs> asterisk. And, um, yeah, I'm just trying to work out to whom to pitch the show. Yeah. I mean... If, if you have great and intimate knowledge of this book based on mm. uh, years or decades of work and multiple readings. Um, Don't add us. Set... <laughs> Actually, add us or on do, Instagram, you... <laughs> not on Twitter. I mean, if you wish to set us straight, if we go egregiously astray, please do. Yeah, um, oh, 100%. And uh, listen. Yeah. If you so wish. Yeah. Um, but who the intended audience for this this endeavor are i'm really not sure yeah <laughs> other than jack and i <laughs> yeah yeah exactly just talking into the ether i will say um read along because it'll make sense what we're talking about first of all hopefully it won't just be like oh boy i wish i read that because i have no idea what they're talking about um and also yeah it would be cool to have a bit of a dialogue if anyone's listening and if anyone would like to talk about the text um that'd be cool yep. so yep, yep, yep. yeah any more asterisks we need to make before reading Capital? <laughs> God. Um, I will say I've never studied this book before. I guess that's all I need to say. Never studied this book before. So um, I've read the first like 50 or so pages a couple times. This is really my first in-depth, really making an effort to understand everything that he's talking about. Um, mm-hmm. And I believe it'll be fulfilling. Yeah. Uh, at present, the only other text we've referred to is David Harvey's companion to yeah. reading Capital. Yeah. Which yeah, yeah. Out by Verso. Yes. It's been kind of funny. Yeah. It's a funny guy. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We might be referencing that a bit. Um, other than that, though, Mark's Capital, as my book says. Should we go for it? Yeah. This first bit, the, for the first episode, what we read is the first section of the first part, which is of the first chapter. Part one, Commodities and Money. Chapter 1, Commodities. Section 1, The Two Factors of a Commodity, Use Value and Value, The Substance of Value, and The Magnitude of Value. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, it was interesting because in the introductions, he says, Marx says, uh, the reason for starting with commodities. Because I guess what this book is, is an attempt to understand the way the capitalist mode functions. And it is, importantly, only talking about capitalism. It's not talking about hybrid forms of socialism. It's not talking about uh, feudalism, duh. It's only really talking about capitalism and how it works, right? And I think in his attempt to understand how capitalism works, it winds up coming across as a slam, as a total dig, because when you see how it actually works, and it's not Econ 101, how they tell you it works, you're like, oh, crud, this is awful. (laughs) This is the worst way of doing things. Mm. He's tackling a kind of capitalism which is... He's presenting in a very abstracted form. He's really trying to dig down to the bare bones to identify some basic premises or some Mm. basic um, definitions and objects of study. And he's cutting out Mm. a lot of the almost uh, the material appearance of things, the, the, the great weight and depth of things sort of disappear behind... Um, a sort of perfected, simplified schema. Mm. Mm. Um, sure. And he's also starting almost from a place where 
almost from the end to some extent. Yeah, that's like true, yeah. he's laying out all his premises um, with some explanation of what he means by those things, but w- without yet having um, given you the full explanation as how he's come to um, these conclusions to some extent. Yeah, and he will make certain declarative statements and then give you one line where that which is supposed to justify. <laughs> The fact that he's decided that um, yeah. the, the substance of value is labor. Yeah, and then he goes, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, to some extent, that's just, I mean, that's the way he's ch- chosen to write the book. Totally. Um, and obviously, it's a weighty tome, and these things are going to play out as, they, as he um, applies the abstractions to mm. um, more concrete, uh, specific conditions. There's also something that David Harvey says in his book, which he's basically saying that basically what Marx is doing for the most part is just taking a lot of David Ricardo's yeah yeah like, absolutely premises right. So I think there's a certain extent to which a a reader who is familiar with classical political economy as it existed in Marx's time, or like I suppose it was just political economy, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, as it existed in the first well the first maybe I don't know two thirds of mm. the nineteenth uh, century. A lot of this terminology would have seemed quite familiar. Yeah, and he uh, makes subtle, subtle changes to Ricardo yeah, yeah, and subtle yeah, changes yeah. to a lot of other um, thinkers that wind up having pretty radical ramifications. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think, like, I guess the substance of Marx's writing in the present age or the present day is taken to be a radical departure from um, mainstream economics. Yeah, um, but. I mean, this this was intended to be a contribution to the school of the study of political economy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And an intervention in other people's works, but a dialogue with other works. Exactly. Um, it was a development upon thinking that already existed. Which it, which it absolutely was. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. like, we think of Adam Smith. David Ricardo wasn't really in the public, I think, lexicon as much as Adam Smith. But we think of Adam Smith as being like a proto-Hayek now, right? Like, we think of him as being this, like, free marketeer, invisible hand kind of guy. But, you know, he came up, I I believe, with the labor theory of value. Mm-hmm. David Ricardo expanded on it. And Marx took it the next step. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there's a reason that a lot of people, Lennon included, and David Harvey, believe that one of the main building blocks of Marx's thought was British economics because it absolutely was. Mm-hmm. It was just taking it to its next logical conclusion. That's kind of the data sets, at least to me, kind of moved on, and capitalism evolved and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that's that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose we should probably say I want to say this, but why he starts with commodities, and not with money, and not with trade and anything like that, or this kind of gets into trade, um, is because he the first sentence of this whole book is basically him saying that. Where capitalism is, where it exists, it presents itself, I'll just basically say what he says, it presents itself as an immense accumulation of commodities. And so he basically just uses that as a jumping off point to basically say, um, so to understand capitalism, we need to understand what a commodity is, how it gets exchanged, how it gets its value, and that's really where he takes off. He also says that this is by far the hardest part of the book. And he kind of, in one of the prefaces, I think, or it might have been in a letter, um, he says something along the lines of, he expresses some concern about beginning with commodities because he says, to make this understandable to people, uh, you have to start with commodities to understand capitalism, but in so doing, you're starting with the most confusing thing and it can be kind of alienating to people and kind of off-putting, um, which it kind of is, but once you 
I don't know, you have to actively think and actively really try and understand what he's talking about because each sentence, like we said, this is what, five, six pages? But every sentence, he's bringing up, putting something new forward and you have to really make an effort to really think about what he's talking about. So, um, yeah. Dan, you want to hit us with how he describes what a commodity is? It's interesting, isn't it? Because, like, um, he is setting up a vision of the capitalist world which is interested only in this sub-unit, yeah. the commodity. Mm. Like The economy is a, a accumulation of various commodities, mm. and its its basic unit is the commodity. Mm. Um, but then he proceeds to strip away from our understanding of that, anything that's specific to the thing itself. He's not interested in what wants it satisfies yeah he's not interested in whether it's uh, intended to be consumed or mm. intended to be used as a um an input to other production or think. how it does any of that yeah he's not interested in what um ends it satisfies um yeah he basically like he basically says the commodities satisfies some wants in people and then he says the nature of such wants whether for instance they spring from the stomach or from fancy make no difference yeah so it's like it just it's it's not of interest to us like what they what they actually satisfy in people yeah he's only interested in uh the thing in a sort of abstractive abstracted fashion kind of thing yeah one thing i noticed when he was talking about commodities is maybe i just like misinterpreted it but it didn't seem like he was really he bought up commodities as services really at all maybe he might do that later Mm -hmm. on um like you know, a commodified job role is like you're completing a service for like uh, holding some pig feed, perhaps. Um, but I, he basically just kind of seems, and it's probably just for clarification's sake, just to be like, again, guys, we're not interested in what the commodity actually is. Mm-hmm. Just this, you know, unified thing that is a commodity. Mm-hmm. It could be a table, could be a dog, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it could be a car, a house, um, commodity. Don't worry about it. Yeah, and uh, basically, the the only the only um quality of a commodity that he's interested in at this point is that it satisfies some use exactly yeah it has some value that stems from its usefulness to a human being (laughs) yeah or to to some process of the some portion of the productive process yeah that that leads us that leads us nicely into the next bit that we kind of need to define which is his three the three i don't want to say forms but like the three (laughs) forms that value takes on Mm -hmm. um the first of which he says to explain what type of value a commodity has uh, is use value. So that's exactly what it sounds like, basically, right? Use value is how useful something is, what use it uh, has. Um, a shovel is useful because you can use it to dig a hole. Uh, it's more useful to you if you need to dig a lot of holes, right? Um, one thing he says is that this property of a commodity, meaning the use value, is independent of the amount of labor required to appropriate its useful qualities. Um, so basically he says that when we're dealing with use values, we're dealing with definite um, quantities, right? So as opposed to when he talks about the next form of value, which is um, exchange value, which is a little bit more complicated, mm-hmm. the value that something has when it's being exchanged on a market, um, that you deal with qualities. Am I right there? Is that the, well, the I was quite confused by this because, uh, yeah, the beginning of the third paragraph, he says, uh, every useful thing, and then he gives a list of useful things, may be looked at from two points of view, hmm. of quality and of quantity. 
Yeah. Um, and initially, I sort of wanted to attribute quality to one and quality to the other. Yeah. But then it does seem like there are places whereby um, there is a qualitative and a quantitative way of looking at. Yeah. Well, at least you. At least um, uh, use value seems to be able to be represented represented by both qualities and qualities. Yeah. Quantities, quantities and qualities. And qualities. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I suppose it makes sense, right? Like a. The more of a useful thing you have, the more use it represents. Yeah, true. Sense. But I think I think when he gets into exchange value, he's saying that you can only be dealing in quantities, I believe. Mm. So exchange value only something only has a value in terms of like you can exchange it by the amount of things that you have. That's how much like the exchange value matters. Uh use value, you can have a bunch of useful things. Sure, that counts, but also the quality of the useful thing. That that is like very important to the use value. Uh, designation, I suppose, that you could make. Um, I wrote a little note here in the margin because I think we'll get to the third type of value, which is just value, a bit later on, right? So I think that the points that he's building towards in this whole section is it's something along the lines of, I wrote down, because there's a common property to all commodities and because that property is not utility, it must be labor in the abstract. So that's the point that he's building towards, which is a little bit more complicated than like what, you know, how useful is something, blah, 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 blah. So that's why it's important, I guess, to understand use value because you need to understand how that fits into the point that he's trying to make. You need to understand exchange value and what that all means to everything. And then you need to understand, finally, this third type of value, which is value with a capital V. Yeah, so I suppose we should get into exchange. Yeah, I suppose the, 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 quite the, useful, the interesting thing about use values, to some extent, is they're, they're... I mean, they're dependent on a particular historical time and the, the, the advancement of mm. technology and human mm. society. and um, But use value in the abstract is almost an ahistorical thing, like, mm. for all of human existence there have been useful substances to some extent. Yeah. Um, use value exists as a separate thing, but under a specifically capitalist guise to some extent under capitalism. Um, but it's almost like something that extends into pre-capitalist time to some extent. Mm -hmm. um, but what's unique about use values um, under capitalism is they... they come to be represented in this other form, mm. the sort of the form of exchange value. Mm. Um, Which he kind of says is like two parts of the same whole. Yeah, so much of this process is the truth of things as represented in the in the sort of interaction by yeah. two other things to some extent. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that when you're looking at markets under capitalism, you might just assume, right, that like, oh, you, you things, their prices fluctuate purely dependent on how useful something is. You know, the the newest iPhone is more useful than the last iPhone, so therefore it's going to be more expensive, right? But what Marx is saying is that that's not the only thing that goes into determining value and that there's, like, exchange value is much more complicated than just use value, mm. right? Um, there's, a, there's an interesting section here, which I'm going to try and read. This is on the second page. Okay. Uh, at the top. Use values become a reality only by use or consumption. They also constitute the substance of all wealth. Um, so, like, yeah, the usefulness of a thing is mm. from where its wealth stems. Kind of yeah. thing. Um, whatever may be the social form of that wealth, 
Mm. Um, so, like, I think here when we're talking about social form, we're talking about um, that wealth takes on a particular representation mm. based on the, so- the society in which the the useful product is existing in kind of thing or how yeah. it's represented by that society mm. to some extent or what that society even needs yeah yeah, yeah yeah in the form of society we are about to consider they are in addition the material depositories of exchange value yeah um so this is the relationship between use value and exchange value mm. um so yeah again that's his attempt to explain the relationship between the two yeah how yeah. I don't know what the, what you necessarily think he means by um, use values as the material, material depositories yeah. of exchange value. I mean, it's I guess like you you know you always hear about Marx as being this like ultra materialist, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously for good reason. But when he's so when he's talking about use values, that is a material physical quality that an object has. A table is useful if it's like I don't know big enough or stable enough for what you need it for, right? Um, but exchange value. There isn't really a physical quality there. I guess we could. I guess we could just keep reading that next paragraph mm-hmm. because he says he would explain it better than me. Exchange value at first sight presents itself as a quantitative relation, as a proportion in which values in use of one sort are exchanged for those of another sort, a relation that's constantly changing with time and place. Hence, exchange value appears to be something ex- accidental and purely relative, and consequently an intrinsic value i.e. an exchange value that is inseparably connected with inherent in commodities seems a contradiction in terms. So he's basically saying that exchange value is constantly fluctuating. And like he doesn't really mean that in terms of like supply and demand because he's I think that like one of the main presuppositions that he's making in talking about capitalism is like we're going to assume that capitalism for at least right now when we're talking about it supply and demand are in perfect balance right so the exchange value is dependent on more than just like those market factors mm-hmm. so he's basically saying that if you take for granted that you can sell a bunch of wheat for example um and wind up getting through an exchange of money or through just like an in-kind trade i guess he's saying you can wind up getting x amount of silk for x amount of wheat right if you take that presupposition and you just assume that to be true across a market Again, that's constantly changing. It's never just the same thing. Um, you have to then assume that there is a common quality in all commodities, right? Um, and this is kind of where it gets into like the immaterial bit of this thought. So he says, therefore, first, the valid exchange values of a given commodity express something equal. Okay, so that's basically what he's saying. He's saying that there's something in a commodity because you can exchange it uh, for like, you know, similar quantities of different things there's something inside of those commodities that is apart from them but also like a part of them secondly exchange value generally is only the mode of expression the phenomenal form of something contained in it yet distinguishable from it so he's saying that exchange value represents that thing that is inside of all of these commodities and he eventually goes on to explain what that thing is but it's important to realize that Use value, that's something physically, you know, material. You can just see it. It's, that's how useful something is. Exchange value is not. It has this phenomenal immaterial form that it represents something. And what that thing is, uh, that'll get us into the next type of value. But I think that that's one of the things that made it kind of click for me is when I realized that, okay, exchange value isn't something that you can really point to as being like, that's what causes exchange value. It's not something you can like hold in your hands. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with the utility, really. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I suppose it's point. Yeah, I suppose I don't know how well we've we've explained yet that, um, as you have said, exchange value has nothing to do with um, how much a thing exchanges for money at the moment. Yeah. He's talking about the relationship between various commodities that are deemed to be of equal value. Yeah. Or equal worth and would a fair trade would be x amount of one thing for x amount of another thing mm, yeah um but he thinks that if you have four or five commodities and you can work out a cer- certain quantity of each commodity which would be a fair trade for a certain quantity of all of the other five commodities mm. um at that point you're not really looking at something that's specific to the sort of material form of the thing Mm-mm. um but there's something how, there yeah how can how can it be that like um i'm just trying to think of some use values that would that you'd be trying to compare like, yeah. like the tensile strength of a certain amount of steel mm. you can't compare that quality with dog. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah with the fluffiness of a dog <laughs> or like um but then but then again suppose maybe two maybe two quality commodities do have like something similar in common but like what he's saying is there is a certain quantity of every commodity a certain quantity of every commodity that would exchange fairly or evenly with a certain with a certain quantity of every other commodity that's in circulation Mm. um and his question is at that point like is it possible that it's something physical about the commodity that's being compared Mm. um or is there as you say some other sort of immaterial comparable thing. comparable thing that's not necessarily present or visible mm. in the th- in the material appearance of mm. the thing and he comes away basically saying right that no it is not it's not the physical thing it's not the comparable physical things uh-huh. it's this other thing it's there is something relatable about every commodity in circulation um i guess we should just go out and say what he says that that is is labor right Uh it's a specific kind of labor it's not just like the amount of time it takes me to make a table or something like that it's a bit more specific than that but this is where he's pulling from ricardo and smith before him and all these other uh syphilitic british people (laughs) um i'm gonna get offended (laughs) i think i've used that word four times on the podcast and only twice to refer to british oh okay (laughs) (laughs) um because the labor theory of value, as much as it gets tossed around uh, by, like, oh, what a Marxist idea. That was Smith's idea. The idea that a cup is more expensive than a different cup because of the amount of hours that went into making that cup. On a cursory glance, you kind of go, okay, that kind of makes sense. Because, like, if you made a really nice handmade cup, that would take longer than supposedly just, like, a cup you buy at Ikea or something like that. But that isn't really how it works, and Marx realizes that. So this is where he begins to diverge from Ricardo and all those guys. Because he says, well, this immaterial thing that is um, uh, comparable across every commodity in an economy that gives them their actual value, that exchange value is based on, is labor. But it's what I've taken to uh, annotating as the abbreviated uh, acronym uh, SNLIT. (laughs) I write that down whenever it gets bought up. What that means is socially necessary labor time. And that is like what I'm going to guess this entire book is built on. It's what like all of Marx's thought is built on is that it's not the amount of time that it takes, you know, one guy to make something because that wouldn't make sense. Marx realizes that he goes, if you were to just, you know, assign something value based on its the time it took to make something, that would make absolutely no sense because what about Jack 
you know, he takes forever to make that table, whereas a guy could make an even better table than half the amount of time. So where he abstracts from that is that this value, the third type of value, capital V value, socially necessary labor time. And what that is, is <laughs> the average amount of time that it takes a society to produce a commodity. So it's like, if I take... Uh, oh God, I'm going to have to figure out how to do math here. If I take four hours to make a... Everybody always says table. Uh, if I take four hours to make... Uh, looking a around, coat? <laughs> a coat, yes. If I'm a coat maker, and it takes me four hours to make my coats, each coat, um, but it takes the schmuck down the street two hours to make his coats, and for clarity, we're the only people on the planet making coats. The socially necessary labor time to make a coat is then three hours because it's the average amount of time that it takes everybody to make a coat. So it's not as it actually exists in the world, although presumably there might be a third person who fits right in the middle and, hey, they take three hours to make a coat. It's not labor time as it actually exists. That's not what gives things value. That would not make any sense. What Marx is saying is what gives them value, socially necessary labor time, which is the average time it takes to create a commodity. I believe. Again, don't at me, but I believe. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that seems like it's the truest form of value, at least. Does that make sense to say that it's the truest form of value? I guess utility is like, well, that makes sense and it's useful, but how do you determine that? This is a little bit more mathematical. Exchange value just kind of seems like fine, arbitrary. Who cares? In a perfect world, we wouldn't even have to deal with that. Socially necessary labor time seems like, oh. I get why you can assign value to that. That makes sense to me. I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay, so it would be totally absurd to say that the amount of time you spent working on a thing gave it more value. Yeah, Because, exactly. like, I might just be really incompetent and build a really <laughs> shoddy thing and it takes me forever, but because it's taken me forever, why would you pay considerably more for it? Yeah. Like, it's a very easy and obvious criticism to the labour theory of value. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> My labour specifically does not contribute a definite quantity of value mm. in that in actual fact this there, i mean there is a relationship between um uh well he talks about two terms isn't he, he talks about labor in the abstract and mm. concrete and abstract labor like yeah. the concrete labor is my specific labor yeah and the way he You're tends inept to labor. He, he, the way <laughs> the way he tends aims to talk about labor is labor in the abstract mm. Uh, so there's another example of him sort of abstracting away from reality and building a kind of sort of rarefied, perfected, yeah. uh, sort of almost simplified version of a thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. To be able to... it's. A, I mean, for him, it's his effort to be as scientific as possible, right? Like, mm. it's to boil down to the sort of, like, perfected version of a thing um, that... Things might not function in that perfected way kind of thing, but mm. that is the essence of his methodology. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, basically what he says is like a, a, an economy or a society can be represented by the total amount of labour that's done by that society. Mm. And so there is this sort of uh, an economy or a society has a total stock of like labour, mm. which is then sort of a, is apportioned to appears in commodities in various quantities mm. of various sorts and as you say then what what happens is like there is an average amount of time that it takes society to make a, a an article of a thing and so every article of that thing that's made by that society has the same amount of this social substance mm. 
labor in the abstract um infused yeah infused or like mm. congealed yeah i think it's used to be a phrase of congealed a few uh, times kind of i don't know <laughs> <laughs> um and the proportion coll- collected that. inside of it yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and so it's it's it, it's it's that sort of abstracted un, almost unknowable untouchable Unexperiential, a thing which is it's, you're in, it's impossible for you to experience directly yeah. the exact amount of useful labor that's gone into making any specific commodity. Yeah, and it's it's that quantity of abstract labor which is the substance of value. Big V value. Big V value. Mm. But that big V value cannot be experienced directly mm. we can only experience it through its sort of imperfect representation in the value for which things exchange with other things in a capitalist mode currently in a capitalist mode yeah yeah but but, but all of these things are only i mean only only I, th- I mean i think it would be correct to say in my understanding that only use value in this i mean it, in this schema it, all of all of these pieces of terminology only apply to sure. the capitalist mode of production. I, so I suppose socially necessary labor time would be like the building block for building a, a socialist or a communist society, right? That's what that's the type of value and utility that you would have to calculate for when you're developing a society without perhaps money or perhaps exchange value without any of those kind of value forms. You would have to build from those two, and presumably, I would imagine. Mainly from socially necessary labor time. Um, maybe, although I don't know whether even like, um, even the even the idea of socially necessary labor time wouldn't wouldn't have any bearing on a socialist society to some extent because mm. we we wouldn't be creating commodities and those commodities wouldn't have their values based on the amount of labor that had gone into them. I think they might. I think they might. I mean, if maybe you're definitely right about commodities, but I think that if we're talking about work that needs to get done to produce good quality lives for everybody, I think you'd probably. I mean, I'm sure that there are other like ways of calculating it, yeah, but I would yeah. imagine that a good starting point would be the socially necessary labor time. Yeah, maybe. I mean, we're not out here trying to design a <laughs> communist society. So I don't know. <laughs> Somehow, you'd have to also, I guess, design for I mean, utility. I mean, I mean, that is this. Is, yeah, yeah, I mean, that is the question, right? How would how how would you apportion work? Mm. I don't know. Maybe your interest would only be how much how much use value any piece of work made, kind of thing. True. Yeah, you yeah. may you might only be interested in concrete labor. Yeah. There might not be any desire to think about labor in the abstract, kind of thing. I suppose for the um, for the idea of like labor certificates yeah. now we're off the rails <laughs> but if we're talking about like getting rid of money and having some sort of form of labor certificates to prove that you've done your work to uh you know get from society what you put into it directly um that would be based on socially necessary labor time because it wouldn't be again it wouldn't be based on um concrete labor it wouldn't be based on god if we're supposed to be digging a ditch for you know the aqueduct or whatever and jack's over here took him three hours to dig 10 feet it took you know joe schmo over here one hour to dig 10 feet we wouldn't get the same like 
like I suppose actually we would get the same thing because we wouldn't it wouldn't be about you know I'm an idiot and I don't know how to dig a hole. Yeah, I mean, maybe, yeah, we we yeah, your social society oughtn't be interested in the amount of abstract value that's yeah, or abstract labor, the amount of value that's been contributed to a thing based on the concreteness. Of, I, I think maybe it would. <laughs> I, think, I think maybe it would be based on the abstract labor and not the concrete labor. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I maybe mean, I shouldn't have said that. No, no. I, it's, I mean, I'm very pleased that we're having this digression because yeah. like, the purpose of grappling with ideas like this might not yeah. be, be apparent, apparent <laughs> if it weren't intended to inform our understanding of the society that we live in yeah. and how we need to change sufficiently the society that we live in so that it's not structurally capitalist anymore yeah um yeah and it, it, i mean it's 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 these it's these sort of like um abstract forms that's that capitalist society has taken that we need to work out how we can mm. strike back against yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. Um, exchange value Specifically, <laughs> the point of this the point of this section is to show that the value that capitalists give things makes no sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes sense for them. It mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense for them. Mm -hmm. But in a in a reasonable and just and world that isn't about to inevitably collapse, uh, you wouldn't have any of this stuff. You wouldn't have exchange value because mm -hmm. exchange value is based on on this idea that's like a good idea, which is socially necessary labor time, but as you said when we talked about this before, Dan, all of these three types of value have kind of a dialectical ever-changing relationship with each other. So while exchange value is rooted in capital B value, slit, as I like to say, um, it is not solely determined by that. And it can be determined by a bunch of other things that capitalists deal with, like uh, automation or uh, uh, different types of automation. <laughs> it's the only thing I can think of right now. <laughs> but... Um, he uses some exa other examples, like... Um... Uh, I don't know whether these are good examples similar to the ones that you were making, but like the the um, there's a section where he's talking about how the value, um, how the quantity of abstract uh, labor in the form of value in commodities can vary year mm. on year, or yeah. can vary from one commodity to another to some extent, or how so like um, the amount of labor in a bushel of wheat in a particularly agriculturally productive year as opposed to a year mm. where there's some kind of blight or mm. or uh, adverse weather or something that necessitates that a small amount is produced by the same quantity of labor people the same quantity of people farming to produce a small amount kind of yeah. thing. or like um two uh mines of various sort mm. one where the thing that you're mining is so much closer to the surface is so much easier to get at kind of thing mm. um as opposed to like diamonds, where you really got to. Yeah, yeah, they 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 produce a they they produce a commodity with the same quantity of abstract labor in it, regardless mm. of the actual amount of concrete labor that's gone into producing either mm. one of those equal quantities mm. of a thing. Does that make mm. sense? Was that sim analogous to what, no, yeah, what, you were, what you were aiming after? Absolutely, absolutely. And that <laughs> and just he, that... Uses, he uses quite an interesting historical example of like of the um, like domestic uh industry of um cotton weaving weaving mm, yeah and loom um, automation and, and stuff. yeah and how that was affected by the factory right so yeah like, a person who um 
who did who's whose labor didn't hasn't changed at all right they're mm. still making um uh fabric in exact by exactly the same fashion on their on their sort of like i don't mm. know foot foot cranks like home loom i really don't understand how these things would <laughs> have worked. Loom. Uh, <laughs> um but a factory opens where there's that is successfully ma- mechanized this whole system or mm. utilizes human labor more efficiently because it's all in the same place and blah blah, blah. Mm. um by virtue of the fact that they've revolutionized their productive capacities somewhere else mm. the value of the commodity being produced by the person making the thing in their kitchen mm. Has reduced mm. by no by because they haven't with, done it, in like. no relationship to the type of labor yeah. that they're putting into their thing, mm. um, and that's because the average time that it takes with the average skill to produce something as a society yeah. has gone down because yeah, of the yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, like, um, what we're seeing here is an example of how global mm. capitalism is. Mm. Um, sure. Or how 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 much capitalism is entirely predicated on um, the world market, right? Yeah, the market exactly, yeah. or like the communication of information mm. um, via the market. This is why the market is so significant to capitalism, right? Like, mm. it's only by these different people making their different their their analogous commodities in different fashions. Mm. It's only when they take them to the market and find out how much they can realise mm. for their thing, right? Um, it's only when the person in the kitchen who has been making their um, linen <laughs> tries to sell it and discovers that, like, the price has fallen massively because there's yeah. this massive glut because, like, somebody else is successfully making uh, far more for the same amount of time kind of thing. Yeah. Um, mm. So it's it's point it's hinting to and pointing at how the capitalist system is is a is a sort of in, interconnected web of human relations yeah but a web of human relations that um are sort of abstract from us we don't really know our connection to exactly other people and other productive processes but the people and the productive process happening in the factory can massively impact the livelihood mm. of the person who's and is still trying to produce along a, a different methodology mm in there yeah absolutely in house kind of thing. yeah 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 and that, that's it harvey makes a good point in the section on this which is very funny because we read six pages from capital and his six pages are like 30 pages to explain it which is really <laughs> funny but he makes a good point where he was like why are we reading this why do you care and he basically says because in order to understand where you fit into all of this and who you are in this larger society you need to understand the basic building block which is the commodity and how that gets its value and how that affects you so I guess that's why Marx started with the commodity. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question that I wonder if we can get to the bottom of. Okie dokie. Okay. So to sum up what we've both been saying about socially necessary labor time, or as Marx called it, slit. Um, those were in his <laughs> private letters, I believe. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He says the value You've been of... been in the archives. I've been in the archives, <laughs> yeah, digging deep from the original German, uh, translated into English and then back to German. Uh, the value of a commodity would therefore remain constant if the labor time required for its production also remain constant. So that's perfectly in line with what we've been saying, right? So uh, the value of a commodity stays the same if no automation's creeping in, everything's in stasis, it's all fine. That never happens, it's not really how it works, but that's how it would work if everything Mm -hmm. were to stay the same. I guess, I'm thinking about this, I guess it's because I was thinking of when he says value here is exchange value, 
which is something different than just value. But thinking about that and thinking about the impact that socially necessary labor time has on a thing's value. What about the example in modern days of an iPhone that gets produced, a new version of an iPhone that takes the same amount of labor time to produce, but is sold at a higher price because it's given this inflated sense of value based on, I don't know, based on advertising, based on seemingly nothing. I mean, maybe the labor time that goes into it's getting produced because like people have to design it and work on it a whole bunch there. But it seems like it's well within the powers of capitalists, right? To just inflate a price for no reason. But I guess saying that out loud, I'm answering my question because that's something different than value. That's something different than capital V value that's exchange value does that make sense do you understand what I'm saying hmm. like it seems well within people's powers to just go Adam we'll charge this now sure yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or is that just like well there, I mean there is an example here and I don't know how how um, analogous it is a little bit further down that same paragraph hmm. um, is it in that pack in that section Jacob we're talking about the diamond mine hmm. and there, <laughs> he, he's referencing someone who suggested that like yeah exactly that person that like diamonds have never actually sold for their true value yeah. Um, which I interpreted to mean that far more labor has actually gone into the production of those diamonds than mm. they are successfully realizing. Mm. Um, or is it the other way around? Like just, their, the other their, way around. Oh, their value is overinflated mm. relative to the amount of labor that's actually gone into them. Mm. Um, I mean, have you ever seen Blood Diamond, the movie with Leonardo DiCaprio? Spoiler alert for that movie that came out a million years ago, where the whole thing is getting this one big diamond, right? And they finally get this diamond because it's going to be worth so much money. It's going to be worth so much. And they sell it to, like, this diamond bank or whatever. And then the guy at the end of the movie just goes and puts it in a massive hallway with a million other diamonds just like it. But it's still going to be sold at a hugely inflated price because it's seen to be this really rare thing. But it's kind of like, yeah, well, they got a bunch of them. They're just kind of artificially uh, changing the price. Maybe that has to do with artificially depressing and raising supply and demand though and making you think that there's a bigger demand for something or a lower supply I should say it makes you think that there's a lower supply than there actually is mm -hmm. and again yeah I guess that is what it is because it's Marx here is basically saying we have to think about this in terms of stasis of supply and demand How, what value actually is not what capitalists make it mm -hmm. I guess mm -hmm. yeah and I think it would be fair to say that um the 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 rate at which things exchange is a representation of the abstract sure. value in them but sure. not necessarily a direct correspondence kind yeah. of thing because to, it yeah. because if, if things exchange for their they their value then we would know exactly the value of things yeah um but i think the case that's being made is we don't know that and we only have this sort of like second-hand representation of value in the form of we can only know mm. value in the form of um, exchange value. Yeah. And to some extent, use value as well, actually. I mean, the last paragraph of this section, he's mm. like... Yeah, a, a bunch more of, like, yeah. art, <laughs> asterisks and, like, oh, wait yeah. a <laughs> Yeah, yeah regard, regardless of how much labor goes into a thing, if it's of no use to anybody, then yeah. it has no value. Like, useless labor confers no value. Mm. Um, it's that relationship, which, right? Which is, brings us back to what... Yeah, which, something which Jack touched on a little bit, which is... Um, more thoroughly worked out um, in Harvey's explanation of this, which mm. is what's happening here is a whole series of dialectical relationships. Yeah, the the reality of one thing can only be known by its relation, the relationship between two other things, or its relation to mm. two other things. I mean, Harvey's suggesting that all three of these pieces of terminology—value, exchange value, use value—like 
the truth of that one of those pieces of terminology can only be known mm. with correspondence to the other two. Mm. So in terms of value, you can only know value. The value you only understand value if you understand that commodities have a use value, like a commodity. Mm. A commodity can't bear value if it doesn't have some kind of useful quality. Mm. Um, and you also can't know anything about its value if you don't really understand the rate at which things exchange. Mm. Um, yeah, you can't I mean, say you can't say anything about the value of a commodity if you have no idea how useful it is, and you have mm. no idea at what relationships it exchanges with any other thing. Yeah, you can't just look at a thing and find inside of it, <laughs> like the amount of abstract labor that's sort of like Gooey. resides within it, oozing out, flushing <laughs> yeah. around inside. <laughs> there it is. It's like the ether. Um, should we read that last paragraph? Just yeah. j this is just take it or leave it. This is kind of confusing, but it's necessary to further his point because this is like all stuff where it's go other than this, other than this, other than that, other than this. It basically says, and this is literally the last paragraph. A thing can have use value without having value. Oh, okay. This is the case whenever utility to someone is not due to labor, such as the air, virgin soil, natural matter, meadows, etc. Does that make sense? Right. But he also says a thing can be useful and the product of human labor without being a commodity. That makes sense. Hopefully my broad beans will be something like that. Whoever directly satisfies... <laughs> Unless you try to sell them to someone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Someone on the allotment. Whoever directly satisfies their wants with the produce of their own labor creates, indeed, use values, but not commodities. That also makes sense. In order to produce the latter, they must not only produce use values, but use values for others. Social use values. Okay, that also makes sense. Lastly, nothing can have value without being the object of utility. If a thing is useless, so is the labor contained within it. The labor does not count as labor and therefore has or creates no value. No value at all. Um, I think that's actually the clearest paragraph in this whole thing. Because, <laughs> because it kind of clarifies like what's going on in the back of your mind where you might not realize it or not, where you go, hey, this kind of doesn't really make sense mm -hmm, what he's mm -hmm. saying. At least it's some sort of like declarative, concrete exactly. <laughs> yeah, examples exactly. of things to some extent. I, I like how Harvey says one word that Marx uses a lot is um, appears. Yes. <laughs> it's like, he's like, be careful whenever you see that word because uh, he's trying to trick you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, appearance does not mean there is a correspondence between two things kind of thing. Yeah. There, there is not a one-to-one -one relationship. It's like... Um, things take on a sort of appearance of other things yeah 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 lots of sort of spectral and uh... <laughs> ethereal um so that's it let's try and sum it up again though because now that we have all of these ideas it'll be easier to see kind of that sense that i had at the beginning i think so that sentence again was and again this is to understand capitalism this is to understand commodities because there's a common property to all commodities, and we know now that that common property is labor, but not labor as it exists, labor that is the average among, you know, socially necessary labor time. Because there's a common property to all commodities, and that property is not utility, it must be labor in the abstract. So yeah, the common property of all commodities that gives them their value is labor, but it's not labor as David, David Ricardo? Yeah. So for some reason that sounded weird yeah. <laughs> um, and Adam Smith said which is just labor whatever it is take someone 15 minutes to hoe a field pay them for that um, no it's socially necessary labor time because that's how it relates to markets that's how it relates to global markets um, and if you're a capitalist you can't just be like focusing on one guy's labor you mm -hmm. know what I mean mm -hmm. so 
that's kind of what he's doing yeah. and this is the jumping off point for the like the dynamism of capitalism right like, yeah 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 that constant revolutionizing of labor productivity mm. the necessity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah but anyway we'll um, get to all that <laughs> yeah we will get to that um <laughs> Karl Marx's capital, I'm feeling like a light like, four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, good book. Solid folks. five. Solid five. Honestly, I've always been so freaked out about reading this book. Um, yeah. Just because I've always not considered myself the smartest person. But last night, a couple nights ago, so I, re- I reread this section probably five times. And it wasn't until like my third or fourth read through that there was one sentence and that sentence was, but the exchange of commodities is evidently an act characterized by a total abstraction from use value. Then one use value is just as good as another provided it just be in sufficient quantity. That won't really make sense just on its own, but that was the one sentence that just made me go, Oh, holy shit. Okay. I understand exactly <laughs> what he's talking about. And it's because you kind of have to read through this whole section and then take it all as a totality. Mm. You can't really read it linearly, even though that's how he's trying to write it and have it all make sense, because it isn't until the last two pages that he really gets into what he's getting at, which is socially necessary labor time being the root of all value uh-huh. for a commodity. Good book. <laughs> <laughs> so far. I don't know. We'll see how it ends. We'll see how it ends. Don't spoil it for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God, I sure hope this capitalism thing still isn't existing. That'd be bad. Um... Anything else that we missed, do you think? There's oh, a funny loads little... Of things. Loads of things we missed. Loads of things we missed. There's that funny little and also yeah, extremely yeah. confusing geome- geometric... Oh, well, that, yeah, that was the least useful bit, wasn't it? Yeah, I know. He was like, let me simplify it for yeah. you. And then he brings in geometry and it's like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> what an idiot savant Marx must have been. <laughs> Jesus. At one point, he says, some people might think that the value of a commodity is determined by the quantity of labor spent on it. And I wrote, fools, next to that. (laughs) (laughs) Hoping we get more sassy marks. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, read this this yourself, folks. um, Because it's extremely valuable and extremely necessary to understand everything. You can read all the social theory you want, and indeed you should. You can read all the cultural theory you want, and indeed you should. But until you really understand the basic building block... I suppose, which is the commodity. And that's what Dan and I are trying to do here. Um, I don't think it'll fully make sense until you do. Call me crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we'll be back eventually. I don't know when we're going. <laughs> Hopefully maybe we'll do one the week soon. after. Maybe yeah. quite soon. Uh, what's the next bit? Just tune in next time for section two, the twofold character of labor embodied in commodities. <laughs> Brutal. Um, or maybe we'll just talk about this section one again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we were totally wrong. <laughs> Mark says all that matters is exchange value. Um, I, I think the one, there's one very interesting thing, which again, we touched on this at the beginning, but it is just how much of the prior economists are in this. And it speaks to just how uh, disgusting bourgeois education is that you read all of these racist pricks, mm-hmm. philosophers and uh, economists mainly, up until Marx, because Marx stumbles upon something that is a little bit uh, uh, dangerous to understanding capitalism, which I guess is just socially necessary labor time mm-hmm. right now. But it's like, oh, yeah, sure, teach Locke. Yeah, we can teach Locke. Teach Adam <laughs> Smith. You can, okay, teach David Ricardo. We're getting a little yeah, close we're not to allowed stop. To, we're not allowed to talk about the labor theory of value. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Or if we are, we're just able to talk about that, you know, labor as it is exists, and you can easily scoff at that. The yeah. fool's yeah, annotation. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah, imagine if it was taken seriously that like mm. 
all, all wealth and society is created by the workers. <laughs> yeah, and not the job creators. <laughs> the wealth creators. The wealth creators, yeah, yeah, exactly. Imagine if you were to be told that exchange is fake and that it all doesn't really matter and that uh, you could just have a good life if everybody just put in the time and did their work instead of sitting around uh, being schmucks with, with Scrooge McDuck style. <laughs> I'm getting a little carried away. <laughs> Don't Holtz. be a schmuck. Yeah. Don't be a schmuck. That's what we're saying. Okay, I don't know. Anything else, Dan? <laughs> be a schmuck without schmuck. being a schmuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's communal schmucking. Yeah. I remember once you said, um, at one of my previous jobs, I said something about like someone shirking work, and you were like, shirking work should be done communally. And I was like, <laughs> absolutely, I agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. I suppose the same theory holds for schmucking. Uh-huh. Being a schmuck. Uh-huh. Be a communal uh-huh. schmuck. I've been uh, Dan. Oh yeah, you, 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 you have been Dan, and I've been Jack. Welcome to the Capital Meeting Group. Bye. The music you heard this episode was Music to Kill Bad People Too by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. If you like this song, you can check it out and much, much more on their Bandcamp at kinggizzard.bandcamp.com. Be sure and follow us up on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you like what you heard, be sure and tune in next week for some more comedy discussion. Till next time.